Welcome to episode 21 of No Challenges Remaining. We are deep into the rough of the offseason, like Caroline Wozniacki walking the course in Dubai or something. And we're surviving without Rory, albeit. But my Rory is you, Courtney Nguyen. Oh, you're my match point too, Ben. Oh, girl, you're my <laughs> match point. <laughs> oh, How you doing? Never get old. I'm doing really, really well. I am enjoying the offseason. It's really nice. It is. It is. And I know. I know that, like, I mean, because obviously you you see it on Twitter. Like, people are like, oh, let's bring on the live tennis. And, oh, let's bring on Australia. And I am just so, my mind is just not there yet. I am just truly enjoying the off-season of just, you know, being able to, like, stop and reflect on the year that was, to look forward to the year that will be, and to have a normal sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. And, uh for my computer not to be infected by viruses from illegal streams. Um, All these things are good things. All these things are necessary. Super necessary. I mean, tennis has just about the smallest off-season of any sport. And I understand why people are like, oh, I miss tennis, you know, I'm ready for Australia to start, blah, blah, blah. But you need to know what you're missing. It's on some level. Yeah, yeah. And you need to also, I mean, I I think the biggest thing, and and I've talked to players about this, is just like the off-season being a time to just stop and reflect. Because during the year, you really don't have time, as whether you're a player or a fan or a writer or whatever, like to really stop and understand like what exactly is going on Yeah, in that year. Just, I mean, both on a granular level and also on a macro level. So, you know, I do appreciate kind of having that time to just have the space to, like, let the season, you know, like a fine wine. Sometimes you just got to, like, pour it into a decanter and let it breathe. Mm -hmm. And when it breathes and all of the, you know, everything that's good, like, comes to the front and it's it it settles in. And and so that's that's been quite, I don't know, for me, um, because I know for Sports Illustrated, like, we're going through a lot of our year end review stuff. And then leading into previewing next year, like, it's been really helpful to not kind of have to worry about tennis on a granular level on a daily yeah. basis. You get to be you get to be big picture now. Yeah, you get to be big picture and um so I've 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 been enjoying that. It's very it's very nice. Now if you were gonna take this decanter of shaken wine or whatever whatever it becomes when it's decanted and toast to something that happened this year, what would what would your toast be, do you think? Oh, that's interesting. My toast my toast would be to a stable WTA year. Mm-hmm. That would be what my toast would be. I think that even though, and I've always been like, you know, very much a defender of parody. I mean, I like, you know, as one who watches tennis on a granular level, on a, you know, a molecular level, right. on a first round, you know, journey woman tennis match level. I like the, the propensity for upsets and I like that, you know, things can't be predicted. But at the same time, like I think this year really did kind of show that 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 you can get a good mix. You know, I think that this year, you know, obviously Serena was was quite dominant in the second half, but I feel like for the most part, I still had that sense that anything could happen in any match. Yeah. And so that was good. But at the same time, generally speaking, this year, what should have happened is what happened. And there was something for everyone. If you like big upsets, you got you know Rosano beating Serena. But yeah. then if you like consistency and dominance, you got Serena beating everybody else from then on. Yeah. So a little for both, and on the men's side, I think it was it was parity for once, but still sort of yeah. stable parity. 
mean right. each of the top four winning one slam. The first year without a multi-slam winner since, I don't know when, a uh, long time. Mm-hmm. Probably, I could count it back, maybe 03, I'm guessing. Yeah, so before Federer started doubling up pretty much every year in between there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was a nice year for both tours sort of converging to a happy medium, and uh, probably too good to last in that sort of way, but it's good while we had it, so a toast to you, 2012. 2012 was good. Well, let's do the flip side then. Um, a Festivus mm-hmm. uh, wish, an airing, airing of the grievance. grievances. What is the one grievance? I will give you the Festivus poll. Okay. Right? Is that the poll? I don't think it's a poll. There is a poll, but I think the poll is just like a Christmas tree. I oh, think okay. it just sort of sits in a corner of the room. Maybe you decorate oh, it, maybe you okay. don't. That might be right. Um, there is something. It's like a talking something that you have to have. Yeah. But I give you whatever, the, the, the Festivus talking stick. Okay. What is your airing of the grievance? What is your grievance to air? What is my grievance to air? Um, it's <clears throat> a good question. Ow, sorry. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> a high-speed collision just happened at your microphone there. So. Yeah, I may have banged my knee. Oh. I'm all right. All right. Um, grievance. Hmm. Well, do you have one while well, I think? Sure, I can. Uh, my grievance would be... Kind of, while we saw parody within the top four, yeah, there still was a complete, not complete, because we had Russell and you had like Janowitz, but generally the field really let me down this year. It's a good answer. The field really let me down. The the top four, fantastic. Like I really did, just like you, like enjoy like kind of the the that any combination of those four playing was intriguing. It's great, but that doesn't happen until Saturday. Right, but that doesn't happen until Saturday, and so for the first, you know, four days of a tournament, I'm a bit bored. That's a very and, good answer. And so I really, I really, I keep waiting for the field to step up. I, I want there to be more than just a like, you know, right now Burdick is the hot hand. Right now Del Potro is the hot hand. But you know, outside of those two, Kasanga really, really fell away. I think this year just really didn't, really didn't see much. I mean, obviously, I mean, well, I mean, I, I guess I, I mean, we had some Isner upsets early in the year and, and, you know, Raonic made some progress, but it just really, I just really, it might be, that just might be my standing grievance of the ATP. That's a very solid one. I mean, I had that one too. So if I was, my first pick would probably be that as well. If I'd thought about it mm-hmm. as coherently as you did. Um, I mean, there was nobody <laughs> surprising who made like a slam semi even. Um, yeah. Ferrer made one in the French getting past Murray, which on clay, not really a surprise. And then Burdich made the U S open quarters uh, beating. Well, that was one upset, but that was, Isolated. Yeah, but Ferrer made the semi of the U.S. Open. Oh, right. But with, with, when it all was out of the draw. Right. So, you know, I could I could do for more sort of less chalk, mm-hmm. more reason to, to care about the early rounds. Yes. Yes. So that's the same thing pretty much. I don't think there's a WTA grievance to complement that. Mm. I do think the grunting could probably be addressed at some point, but it's not really my pet issue. Yeah. Um, there are enough people complaining about that much louder. Yeah, for me, it would probably be the Germans didn't follow it up. Okay. Outside of outside of Kerber, obviously, you had a great year. You know, a lot of the talk of the last couple of years has been the rise of ger- women's German tennis. And, you know, with Lasicki and Pekovic and Gerges, and we had Barthol in the beginning of the year this year. Um, and that's been a really, at least for me personally, like I've, I've enjoyed following that story because I, I, I like their games and... I like watching them play, and and they're interesting, and they're they're the good personalities yeah. generally. 
And so a lot of it, you know, you couldn't do much of this year. I mean, Pekovic injury is injury, but I was really dis- I was really disappointed upon reflection. This is one of those decanting moments. Sure. I was really disappointed in, in Sabine Lisicki's year. Yeah. It was a surprising letdown in the second half that um, was was pretty shocking to me. Yeah. Um, she went through a couple so, of long, long losing streaks, I think. Yeah, yeah, significant ones. And, um, you know, and she's one where the talent is, is so obvious and it's so there. So just, but just generally, even her and Gerges and, and all them, I just, I kind of expected a little more from them this year. Barthel fell away, but... You know, she had a pretty pretty solid first half, but um, you know, I feel like Kerber took all the mojo. Pretty much, and I mean, went most of the way, but not all the way with it. And yeah. She made one Slam semi this year, or two, well, right. one, one at Wimbledon, two more Germany for you guys to be a real, because they're ready to have you know sort of what Russia had at like mm-hmm. uh, beginning of the last decade, you know, where they can really get a lot of people in the top ten and make a lot of deep rounds and stuff and have long streaks of you know, being present, if not dominant, at least, you know, omnipresent. They're not quite there yet. Pretty much all we have for our own stuff this week, I think. But the great thing about the offseason is that you guys are there to help us. So we asked for questions, and you gave us plenty of questions. So here some of those are. First question comes from Ah1028, or AAH, I'll say Ah. Ah uh, asks, what were your favorite tournaments to cover this year? ATP, WTA, combined. Courtney? Favorite tournaments to cover. Um, to cover. Because that's the big, that's different. That's different. Too. That's different. It is different. Uh, for me, it would probably be Rome. Mm-hmm. I think that, that as time has gone on, Rome has really solidified itself as, as being my favorite my favorite tournament to cover and that would probably include slams um and everything so you know joint atp wta like rome really really stepped up this year um just because it's it's a beautiful the foro talico is beautiful it's in rome yeah so the food is awesome and from a coverage perspective like it's great because of where it sits in the calendar you can because i generally don't go to the french open Mm -hmm. for personal reasons (laughs) um (laughs) You, it's not like, you're, not like you're a fugitive or anything there. Right? It's that not I that I'm a fugitive. That I know of. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I just, I just don't enjoy uh, the French Open. But, um, but yeah, so it's, you can get all of your clay stuff there. It's joint. It's mandatory. So everybody's there. So it, and it's just right about that time where you can get. And, it, and it's also, to me, Rome is like a better gauge of success at the French. Than Madrid. Than Madrid. Sure. Right, for sure, or Stuttgart, or Monte Carlo, or Barcelona. So, so, but it's just always beautiful. It's always a really beautiful time of the year. It's just the best, just to like sit out there on those like, like granite steps, uh, and just like watch on these sunken clay courts, um, from really, really up close. And and the actual uh, the the center court is like really well built. It's very steep. Mm-hmm. So you're like high, but you're like right on top of the action. So even if you're sitting at like the cheap seats, it's good. But yeah, and food and restaurants and bars are open late, and it's money. Sounds good. And I and I have good friends there, so it's it's a good it's a good time. Good time. So I would say Rome. Good times. I would probably say if I had to pick um, a combined tournament, would be I think Indian Wells. Um, just it's so nice being there. The layout is very press friendly. We have a it's paradise. You have about you have like a you can step right from your desk essentially into the stadium bowl, 
to watch the match going on there. You can go outdoors at any time. The weather's perfect. Mountains everywhere. Um, food was good. And, you know, you're in the sort of combined dining area with the players, which is good for some. Uh, some people like that. Some people don't. Well, it's fine for me. Um, everyone did get violently ill this year, I guess. I forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, that was kind of a big check mark in the not really enjoying yeah, covering Indian Wells this but year. I wasn't one of those people. And neither was I. Like yeah. you, myself, and Alex Willis, we had our little aggravated assault alley, and we were sitting back to back with another group of journalists who, like, almost all got sick. Yeah. Uh, but ev- but every day, you just felt like you were playing Russian roulette. Like yeah. you're like, is, am I going to get hit today? Yeah. No. So maybe that maybe if I was actually thinking about it, that wouldn't be my pick. But I do like it. Um, in terms of ones I was most looking forward to going back to next year, that would probably be high. Um, yeah. Then in terms of just a single tournament. I don't know if because Washington used to be the ATP only tournament I would do for sure every year. Cause I live in Washington. Um, but that got combined now. So I don't actually know if I went to a single only ATP event this year. Trying yeah. To... I only went, I think I only went to San Jose. You went to London too. Oh, Queens. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, and the I... world tour finals and the world tour finals. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> I'm moron. <laughs> but, um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, I don't, Know that I went to any ATP only stuff, but the WTA would probably be Charleston, I guess. Mm, um, Charleston was fun just for this year, especially because it had the WTA original nine coming back together, which is very cool. And the food in Charleston was unbelievable. So good. So thank a shout out to press guy there, Danny Kendall, and Mike Saya, and everybody else there who runs that tournament because yeah, that's a fun place to be. And it's sort of a you can also do clay stuff there, although mm-hmm. with that sort of green asterisk necessary. And yeah, it was a fun fun time. And they just yeah. got announcement today when we we're recording this that Venus is coming back next year. So exactly. maybe Serena will too. Maybe Sharapova. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, WTA only for me would be Charleston. Mm-hmm. That was just a really, that was a fun week. And um, the city is really cute. It is. It's just, you know, aside from my like minor panic attack during that weird storm, we're sitting oh, yeah, you're, not, you're, you're not used to tough weather being from california no i'm not so i didn't enjoy that but um but yeah it's it's a good easy tournament um you know especially for me because i cover indian wells but i, I generally skip miami yeah it works out really well because i can just do indian wells and then come home for a couple of weeks and then fly to charleston so that works out and then atp only to cover mm. i mean i only covered those three yeah which was so san jose and the World Tour Finals and London mm-hmm. Queens Club. Right. I guess the World Tour Finals. Okay. Yeah, just because it's like, you know, the the matches are the, the matches can be the others are two fifties. Yeah, exactly, and it's obviously high stakes and everything, but uh, but also you know every day there's usually at least one match that you want to see for me. But behind the scenes, I have to say that the World Tour Finals, like as press, you. For the for the most part, you get treated better than like I've ever been treated in a tournament. Nice. So just it's like kind of, that's kind of nice, but it is kind of a pain in the ass to get to the O2 Arena. Is not easy to navigate transport for, and like if the matches go late, you're basically having to like bail on press conferences mm-hmm. in order to grab the last tube back into Central London, which is a bit of a bit of obnoxious. But but yeah, I would probably say the World Tour Finals. That's good. I should also give a shout out to. Istanbul real quick most recent because they had those little sesame bread things which I ate roughly about 30 of a day your samichis yeah 
I was waiting for you. So the in Turkey, they have these things called smichis. I don't know if that's like how you pronounce them, but um, it's basically like a really heavily sesameed bagel. Yeah, but sort of thinner um, than a bagel. Like yeah, thinner than like, width, but like bagel and lighter than a yeah. bagel. Anyway. Yeah, lighter than a bagel, less dense. But um, I was waiting for you to bust out like a double smichi reference. I mean, I, I could. You should. They got they served them in like quarters. They qu- it was like a round ring when it comes whole. They had them in quarters, and I would get about, eh, about you know, fifteen quarters a day, <laughs> roughly, which is which was a lot. There's a lot of carbo loading, dude. A lot of carbo. But I that's mean, but that's Istanbul. That's what you need to do. Yes, much. it's a lot of protein and carbs. Yes, in the bowl. Indeed. All right. Next question comes from Matt F15. Hi, Matt. His question is: If you took the top eight in both the ATP and WTA and team them up for a mixed doubles event, who would you pair up? Oh, this is just right up your alley, Ben. I feel like you've already done this in your head. Like, this is what you do in order to, like, instead of counting sheep, to fall, fall asleep. You should. I haven't actually done it out all the way. But now I'm thinking about it. This is one that takes some sort of planning. You can sort of, you know, get out, like, your, you know... Piece of paper. ...problem chart and figure out who... I was just going to play MASH, but okay. Okay. That okay, well, that works. <laughs> So let's let's do it just from the guy's perspective, I guess. Let's okay, count it yeah. down that way. So if you had to put one of the top eight with Djokovic, who would that be? And this is a pretty easy one. Unless I confuse it by saying that. Sharapova. Sharapova is correct. Yeah. Okay. They make all those head commercials together. <laughs> they do. They're buds. They are. So Djokovic and Sharapova. Mm-hmm. Write that down. Next up, Roger Federer. Who does he go with? It's too bad Bartola is not top eight because I'll put that <laughs> together because she is fairly um, enamored with him. Yes, she does. She does love her, the Roger. I am going to go Lena. Interesting. Explain. Nike. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not with IMG anymore. No. But like, there's all that, and that's just like a really huge marketing opportunity. It is. Roger Federer and Lena. That would kill in China. <laughs> like interesting, interesting criteria to pick there, but that's good. I'm just saying. I mean, otherwise, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick him with Lena. I think I would probably go Serena, just because they're the active Slam leaders on both respective tours. Both Nike. Yeah. Biggest, probably most famous on each respective tour. Sure. So, I would go with Serena. Okay. okay. Good call. Next up, Andy Murray. Andy Murray. I would put him with <laughs> Ridwanska. Okay, that's a good pick. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, she does get, apparently, Polish journalists call her uh, Andy Marina yep. skirt. That's right. Um, interesting visual. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good pick. I was thinking that I might go, that's a better pick than mine. I was thinking Kerber, just mm. just for the sarcasm potential. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. That would be good. Um, but I think that Red Wanska would, would be the more sort of, you know, pleasing doubles to watch. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on Red Wanska. Okay. Uh, next up, Nadal. See, Rafa, I was saving Serena for Rafa. Okay. But since you already burned through your Serena pick. No, you, you you pick? Can, we can have separate ballots here. That's fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's a, yeah. So Nadal, let's see who's left for me. I, w- I, would, pick, I would pick Arani. I was going to say, Arani's a solid pick. Arani, yeah. just because, I mean, it's not like if, you know, got her he probably would think you know that's all i get but <laughs> i think that they sort of have interesting sort of similarly 
top spinning strokes and stuff, and they're both secretly really loud, and they both are just, you know, good clay court grinder types, so. Whose grunt would be louder? I know that I was watching Irani versus Sharapova in Istanbul, and Irani was decidedly louder. Yeah. So, I think Irani's probably louder, but it all makes a fair amount of noise, too. He does, he does. Especially when he gets in there with Djokovic, and they start, you know, wailing at each other. They do. It gets uh, gets awkward. It does. Um, It gets audibly awkward. Indeed. All right, next guy is Ferrer, who probably would be a good Irani partner, too, but... Very true. What do you think, Ferrer? David? I would put David... I think I'd put David with Vika. Okay, explain. I think that it would be, like, interestingly, like, when I think of their games, I think of them very similarly, Yeah. you know? Um, so I think that that's a bit of a matchup. And I think that his kind of, like, focus is his intensity matches hers but i also think that his softness would like soften her interesting like so that they'd like be chill i think i think they'd be a good double scene that could be good yeah they both are sort of like solid counter punching mm-hmm. type stuff but but still have just a tick enough a tick enough offense to like where they're not just like grinding that makes sense yeah i would say that vika probably more relatively speaking than ferrer relatively speaking, like offensively. Yeah. But yeah, but it's still kind of conceptually to me similar. I like that bit. I'll, I'll agree with that. That's a rank with Ferrer. Next up is Burdich. Petra. See? Okay. Come on. Hotman Cup champs, dude. Here's where I'm planning ahead. Um, I'm saving Petra for Del Potro. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Del Petra. Del Petra? Del Petra. Just for the Del Petra, just so that you can... Okay, so then who are you sticking... So you still have Lina then, right? I put, I put Burdich and Lina together. Just... Out of you know scraps. That's uh, well, no, because no. well, hard to do this perfectly because someone like Burdich, I guess, or someone like I don't know, I have Songa left over now. Coming sort of end games, so you can talk through everything. Mm-hmm. So the guys I have left are Burdich, Del Potro, and Songa, and the women are Kvitova, Kerber, and Lena. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe it's kind of, I feel like Burdich and Radvanska could be an interesting team. Sort of complete power, and then oh yeah, uh, that, yeah, the kind of the yin and the yang. Yeah, and then I'll trade Kerber up to go with Murray, which is my original thought there. Yeah, and okay. then I could have Sangha and Lena, just for a smiley team that misses the court wildly, and then <laughs> uh, Del Petra. Solid. So that's my. I like the Del Petra pick. Yeah, that's it. Would be that would I mean that would probably be my most favoriteest doubles team in the history of doubles, mm-hmm. mixed doubles would be Del Petra. Be pretty good. It would be just be so amusing. So then I guess my last three then were let's see. So for the guys, it's what Delpo Bur- and Sanga. Sanga and Delpo are the final three. Bird Del Sanga and WTA. So yeah, I'd put uh, yeah Petra with Burdick. Mm-hmm. I'll put Delpo with Curbs. Okay. And I would put Sanga with. Irani? <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not, not, not a, you know. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect but, you science know. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's going to kind of come out differently. But we would love to know what you guys would say. So, like, come to the Facebook page and, and let us know. We'll, po- we'll uh, post our picks. Often. Yeah, we'll post our picks and then uh, compare. Because I think that would be, that would be like, really fun. I would, they sh- that should be, like, a, in my dream scenario, when there is a, combined ATP and WTA tour and when 
there is a combined year-end championship, this should be an exhibition. Absolutely. Or this should be part of it. Yeah. And why not? I think they should absolutely do mixed at Indian Wells. For sure. No reason not to. We drove past Larry Ellison's house in San Francisco yesterday. How long did so, it take you to drive past it? Oh, it's really quick because it's like long. Okay. Like it's like it's on top of like it Peck Heights in San Francisco. So it's like it has this ridiculous view, but like the actual facade is quite like relatively narrow. Gotcha. But um but yeah, we we, we poured one out. We said thanks. Is- it was Thanksgiving, so we thank we thank I'm thankful for Larry Ellison. Thanks, Uncle Larry. Thanks, Uncle Larry. <laughs> Next question comes from Curtis07. What's up, Kurt? How you doing, Curtis? His question is surprisingly about Anna Ivanovich. What? And he wants to know Anna Ivanovich, buy, sell, or hold in 2013. And he says, I lean hold for what it's worth. So, Courtney, Anna Ivanovich, buy, sell, or hold? Yeah, I mean, I think I think she's a hold. I, um, you know, having looked at her, her kind of numbers and, and kind of her trajectory of the last few years... Um, and seeing some of the lo- and you know some of the losses that she took this year, I'm I'm really kind of coming closer to the conclusion that she's just not a top ten player. Mm. That she's actually a top twenty player. That could change. I think that physically, I think you know obviously this is kind of talked about a bit. Although we talk around it because you know it's always dicey to talk about uh, fitness when you talk about women's bodies. Yeah. But I do think that but she way does more specifically than the fitness. Yeah. The, yeah. This is. Um, that she needs to get stronger and she needs to bring back the muscle mass. And she's like gone a bit too thin and kind of has like a runner's body, not like a tennis player's body. And that doesn't work. Like you have to be strong in this game. And, you know, she picks up a lot of niggling injuries and, you know, I'm convinced that a lot of that is that. And and you look at her body as it was when she won in 2008 and it just, that is the honor that should exist. It's a fit. It's a strong, you know, girl. And she's a bit she's a bit weak right now, and so it looks like Hantukova in terms of build, almost getting getting there anyway. Yeah, getting there, which is which is not good because that's just not her body type. No. Like Daniela, that's her body type. Daniela is real thin. She kind of always has been, mm-hmm. you know, even though it, it wavers within that. But uh, with with Anna, she's a, she is meant to be a strong girl, and uh, so I, I worry about that. So until she kind of addresses those fitness issues, I think she's a hold. Um, she may crack into the top ten, like she she could get a result, you know, that that gets her there, but not deep into it. I mean, I don't it's think not not deep enough to where it's worth the buy, right? Like the margin is so small yeah. in terms of your get your net gain. If we're talking stock, yeah. <laughs> uh, speak your actual gain is just not worth the transactional cost of like buying, right? At this point, it doesn't justify. I think she. I future. think she's number twelve now. Is that right? Yeah, number twelve. Yeah, she's just outside of it. She's just outside of it. I would go. Um, Hold slash sell if you're worried about losing a few dollars. I mean, I expect her to be top twenty, not top ten, in yeah. by the end of 2013. So, so you're thinking the stock has peaked. I'm thinking the stock won't. It's if it's going to get any higher, it's not going to get much higher. So, but I don't think it's going to plummet either. No. I think it's going to be pretty much. It's a hold situation. I mean, if she winds up at number fifteen next year, should you have sold? I mean. Maybe, but again, but again, transaction costs. Right. It, like every transaction has a cost, right? And right. It's like if it's just like a couple of spaces here or there, like no, it's not worth. It's not worth it. So, so I say hold. It just depends. It depends on when you bought and sold her originally. I mean, if you bought her in, I don't know, oh seven, she's done well for you. If you bought her middle of oh eight, you're not doing so good. Yeah, but uh, washed out. Yeah. Oh well, you can write it off. I'm sure. 
Exactly. Next question. It's from OvaFanboy. What's up, OvaFanboy? Hello, OvaFanboy. People should follow OvaFanboy. He's a good he is a solid value add on Twitter. I'm gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. There you go. I, I would I would second that. And a good writer. And a he good writes writer for, as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, a good writer as well. So OvaFanboy asks both had middling 2012s, so what is more likely in 2013? Kvitova winning a second slam or Wozniacki winning her first? Go, Ben. I have to think it's Kvitova, just because the upside to Petra, you see flashes of it, of what can win her slams. And she was pretty close to winning Australia this year. I mean, she yeah. really didn't have a... Um, she lost to Sharapova in a match that Sharapova really sort of stole. Yep, she stole that match. Yeah. I still, like, I think I asked Petra at some point this year, like, about that match. Maybe at the at the year in champs. No, maybe not. Not when you but made just, her like, cry, if, hopefully. Yeah, no, I made her cry at the year in champs. Tell but, have we told that story on the air? I don't think we have. I don't know. I guess. I made Petra cry. I'm the one that asked the question after she lost to Radvanska in the first round of uh, Istanbul. And she lost badly. And uh, it was her first loss to Radvanska. And she came in and her eyes were red. First and, loss indoors in like over two years. <laughs> right. And, you know, if you've, you know, obviously I, I follow the WTA. I, I tend to go to WTA and joint tournaments more than I go to ATP's, you know, tournaments. So, and I've been in a lot of Petra Kvitova press conferences just because I find her amusing and she's kind of a fun person to just talk to, mm-hmm. even if it's like an empty press room. You just end up kind of having a chat mm-hmm. and she's, she's very funny, um, very sweet. And so, but she came in, her eyes were red and, and, um, you know, everybody was kind of asking questions about the match and things like that. And then finally, I just asked her, you know, I've been in a lot of your press conferences and I've never seen you. And I've, seen, I've been in press conferences after you've lost. Uh, and I've never seen you this emotional after a loss. Like, why is this one, why does this one hurt more? Yeah. And she just kind of got really quiet and stared down at the microphone with kind of her patented Petra smirk. Yeah. But she she teared up and her voice kind of cracked a little bit. And, and she kind of finally looked up and was like, that's a good question. Yeah. And just kind of smiled. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then Matt Cronin jumped in and was like, no, but let's get down on this. <laughs> just kidding, Matty. <laughs> so that sounds about, but, um, yeah, that's about what happened. So everyone was like, you shot Bambi pretty much. Or, pretty uh, much. Like the WTA people were giving me a hard, like in a joking way, like giving me a hard time about it. Like Petra's PR, Katie Spellman was like, giving me a hard time about it. And I'm like, you know, I just had to do it. Because I was curious. You have to. I mean, you have to ask that question. Of course. You do. Of course. Uh, you do. So. Uh, you're not there to make them feel good. No. You're there to do your job. Right. You know, and so, but yeah, no. I mean, I think that. Uh, but I asked her at some point, like about that Australian Open match. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and she had a good answer. She's just like, you know, you just never know, and you know, you can't focus on a single match and stuff. But I've always been convinced that that match really did kind of set the tone for her year. And for Sharapova's year. And for Sharapova's year, yeah. Yeah, Sharapova loses that match. Still same story. She probably gets uh, owned this year by Kvitova and Azarenka and Serena. So just two. Yep, because that's the one match we never got this year. Yeah. Petra versus Mika. Yeah. And I th- and I I'm so curious. I just I'm it's just that I don't know. It's just that one moment in the WTA year that I always think if that match goes differently this year might have looked really really different. Definitely. Definitely, because if I think Kvitova would have beaten Azarenka probably in the final, been a good matchup for Kvitova historically. Then she gets to, you know, win a second slam. Azarenka doesn't. Maybe the streak doesn't. She gets happen. number one. Yeah, Kvitova gets number one. A whole different. I mean, so you know, butterfly effect of stuff. 
Exactly. So that is interesting. Um, but but, yeah, I, yeah, but to answer your question, Ova fanboy, I would say Kudova, just because she's so much closer. And Wozniacki is trending up now, but there's so many players who, are, who, if at their best, can beat Wozniacki at her best. Exactly. And, and with Petra, you know, the only one that I can really say that about is Serena. Mm-hmm. And even then, even if Petra is truly at her best... That ma- oh god, that match would that match is like tennis porn for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's everything I love about like like just big offensive like clean hitting, go for winners, hit big match. But I think probably you give the edge to Serena just because of her movement over Petra. But I still go back to that quote that that you I think have discussed a couple of podcasts ago, Ben from Bartoli, mm-hmm. that who said like you know she was asked like at, like kind of who's the best or. Who, when they're playing the best, is like the toughest to beat, or something like that. And mm-hmm. she said Kvitova. Yeah, and then she went on to beat Kvitova at the US Open. D- destroy her, yeah. bagel her. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so a bit self-serving, uh, but ex post, you know, like uh, not at the time it was. No, that's so. very true. Next question comes from Robert, nineteen ninety-three. A lot of people with names and the numbers today. I guess that's sort of how internet names work. That's not really a big revelation. He asks, with Kim Kleisters having officially retired this year, what do you think her legacy will be in 10 years' time? Courtney, what- I'm trying to answer it without using the word nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, you know, that will be what that's what's going to happen. I mean, 10 years out, people really... Hindsight gets very sort of simplified. Yeah. I think that people... I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this. Is she an overachiever, an underachiever? Let's talk about that with Clay. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's been still with her. That's precisely where my mind went. Now. You know, I mean, I think that I think that given the eras within which she played, mm-hmm. I guess I'd have to go underachiever. Okay. Just because I think that like what she did in the second half of her career was was phenomenal. Yeah, I think you can probably split it that way. Yeah, but in the first part of her career, yeah, she was definitely an underachiever. Definitely. You know? And I think I think this year she was a big underachiever. Yeah. Or just she didn't, you know, like we've talked about a little bit before on here, I think, didn't put herself in position to win. Right. The point. And, and that was the thing. And it's just, uh, you know, I spent uh, today, I had to do a post for SI about the top surprises of the year. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, one of them that I listed was Laura Robson's run at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and watched like most of that match uh, with her and and Kim, and you know it just regardless of the result, I just Kim was just always a player I loved watching play tennis when she played well. Yeah, her strokes to me like are just like the production, the stroke production was just like my favorite. Like the closest that comes to it these days is Lena. Mm-hmm. Like the purity of her backhand and the way that she's able to find certain angles and, and dig the ball down, like when it's low, yeah. and dig it and dip it up cross court, like um, and down. Like I, I love that shot. Just an incredible athlete. In oh, incredible, incredible defense, incredible defense. Yeah. And you really felt like you were getting sort of a shell of that this year. Yeah. Like she had put a, you know, expiration date on herself, and uh, wasn't maxing out. She wasn't all in. No. You know. But I think that's, that's not going to be her legacy in 10 years, I don't think, though. No. And it's hard to say, though. I think she will be seen as someone who's mostly <laughs> overshadowed in this era by Ennin in the first part, for sure, and then Serena in the second part. Although, it is disappointing that she and Serena only played one time in the Kim 2.0 era. 
Yeah. Uh, that was definitely, or maybe 3.0, I guess, depending on how you oh, count but what, it. But what a time it was. What a time it was. It didn't even finish that match, though. <laughs> it didn't even finish. Uh, I mean, well, it was finished. All, all but one one point from the end. No. The default meant it was game, set, match. No, it was a point penalty was the last point, though. She didn't get yeah, to win point a match penalty. point. Right? Was it not? It was match point, and then, uh, then Serena got a point penalty. Right. So game, set, match. Right. But they didn't get to play out match point. You know, there wasn't like a winner. They didn't play it out, but it was game set match right no that's true yeah like it goes in the books as a as a, as a finished completed oh match. totally but it's yeah, yeah. uh it was a weird finish <clears throat> anticlimactic yeah. finish or no definitely climactic it was just not <laughs> what anything expect and what anybody yeah. expected yeah so i think she'll be seen as nice as uh she's seen as like the a great champion mm-hmm. who really showed that you could win by being a good sportswoman and nice and not cutthroat in the locker room and friendly and that you could well, no, I won't go so far as to say that like you can be a really successful mom on tour because she kind of played a part-time schedule. She was at the beginning. I mean, and she reached number one very briefly in 20... Yeah, that's true. For a week, I think, but still did that. And she really did, you know, hoist a trophy twice with her daughter near her on Oshawa Stadium. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that'll be... And there's, obviously, she's a comp- complicated person in some ways, so her legacy won't be completely black and white. But there are yeah. definitely a lot of positives there, and uh, she'll be fondly remembered for sure. For sure, that's be- definitely to the extent that you know commentators uh, and writers make the um, or sort of shape legacy more when they look back mm-hmm. as they get to they have sort of set the narrative. They all liked her a lot, so it'll be positive. Curtis is back and asking, you know, what would says uh, you know it would make for a great off season episode of NCR tennis is a game of Mary Boff Kill. Now, Courtney, we are not doing that. No. The show, just because it would be problematic. Yes. I mean, you could, she, he mentions that you used to do it on your old part, podcast back when you blogged at 40 Deuce. Correct. Yes, um, it was an epic episode. It, it was, a, different, yeah. Different time in, in our lives. Different time in our lives, different access points, different different purposes of, of what it was. Um, you know, like other people can do it. It's not like a secret game. We encourage it. We play it. Like, I mean, like, if you ever go to a bar where there are, like, a bunch of tennis people, some, like, you know, whether it's players or writers or whoever it is, like, a game of Mary Boff Kill can erupt Mm -hmm. and can get a little, a little dicey. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, so we play it, but we can't air that out. Yeah, no, we definitely, we definitely cannot publish our picks for that. Well, I mean, Um, the FD, the FD podcast is up. So like, it's still, people can still download it and they can hear what I said like years ago. But uh, yeah, as of now, can't do it. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, no, playing with people who are, everyone has their own sort of position to the tennis world. So it can be, uh, can be a minefield sometimes. Yes. But you have to be in a true, uh, and a a true trust tree Mm -hmm. to play it. Like, you know, like where everybody's like, okay, you guys, we're just like taking a piss, right? We're just like joking around. Like it's not going to be taken personally. <laughs> right. So long story short, we're not doing that. Yeah. We thought, we, we thought we, we're fairly, you know, loose on here, but that we're not going to wish death upon anybody on here. No, no. Just, just can't do it. Or talk about players that you would boff that you then have to go do a one-on-one interview with. Awkward. <laughs> Awkward. Next question. Also another repeat question comes from Ova Fanboy. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. It says, uh, Yulia Putinseva, discuss. Courtney, why not, a lot of people probably haven't heard of you or don't really know 
what the deal is with Yulia Putintseva. And there's certainly a deal there. Mm-hmm. So what is the deal with Yulia Putintseva? You know, I mean, she's a, a young player. Uh, what is she now? Like 16 or 17. 16 or 17. Young Russian player. Who now really? Kazakh, by the way. Okay. okay. Uh, now Kazakh. Who um, kind of just became this legend for her on-court tantrums mm-hmm. and ability to intimidate umpires, which mm-hmm. is like pretty incredible. Like, cause she's small and she's, she's small and stocky. Yeah. She's small and stocky and she's, and she's, but she's fiery. Like when she plays her face is like beet red. Like she has like eyes that are just shooting daggers and yeah. So she just became like, if you went to a slam and especially in the late rounds when the juniors were playing, and the and, schedule's way more spaced out. And second. the schedule's way more spaced out. Maybe you didn't have, like, a show court ticket. Maybe you just had a grounds pass. It was like, well, let's go see where Putin Save was playing, because that's going to be entertaining. And it is. And, it, and is. it really is. Now, she is very stocky, very sort of powerful and strong. I think her dad was, like, a wrestler mm. in the Soviet Union back in the day. So she has, like, big, like, tree trunk legs, but she's only 5'2 or 5'3 or something. She's kind of a moonballer. And she really, really gets excited when she wins points. <laughs> in this really unique multilingual way um, where she will shout like, come on. And like literally four different languages after winning a single point. But like, specific, but, Dubai, come on. Allez. Except that the one that if, if she says it in a language of a player that she's playing, mm-hmm. she'll yell that one at the player. Yeah. So in other words, if she's playing like a French junior, She'd be like, Davai, Ale! Like, you know, like, at, at the player, which is, like, my favorite thing. <laughs> she, I mean, she plays offense when she's between points more than mm-hmm. most. I mean, people talk about, you know, oh, so-and-so was fist-fumming after points, and it really got grading for me. Okay, that's, you know, people take choosing to take offense to things. This is Yuli Putinseva intending offense a yes. lot of times, and it's totally different when you see it. Yeah. And as somebody who enjoys, you know, being entertained, I have no problem with it. <laughs> I really don't. I asked her about it. I actually interviewed her in Cincinnati this year. Just saying, talking about, like, has anyone ever complained about it? And she was like, oh, yeah, everybody complains about it every single match. Yep. I don't care. But she owns it. Yeah. She absolutely owns it. So I'm not sure what her upside is like tennis-wise, because like I said, she's a bit of a moonballer at this she's point. She's small. She's, she's, she's really overmatched she's, in that way. I mean, she's, we're a, talking... she's a great you know, battler. And... Yeah, she's a fighter, but also has that Russian propensity to fight and implode, mm-hmm. like wanting it so badly yeah. that that you kind of crush your own soul. I think she had a big collapse in the U.S. Open qualities this year. I think she was up like a set in 5-1 and lost. And she, I think she was retired. Oh, maybe. I, I think. I, I could be wrong. but and She withdrew from juniors. I think she might have just in the... Oh, maybe that's what it was, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so we'll see. But I mean, but that is just to say, if you see her name in the draw, do buy a ticket to the Yulia Putin save experience because mm-hmm. it's and it's bring, entertaining. I mean, bring, it really, really is. I mean, I don't really remember watching her play points, but I do remember what happened between the points. <laughs> Coming to a quality draw near you. Yes. Yulia Putin save. And she's had a lot of success with like 50Ks, mm-hmm. 25K. She's won a lot of those. Um, I think she was, for a while at least, one of those people who was, like, the youngest player. Where there's no one younger than her ranked above her. There mm-hmm. might, that still might be true. I don't know if Vekic has gotten in there, how they compare in age or whatever. Um, but, yeah. She was ahead of Laura Robson for a while. Mm-hmm. The rankings. Uh, yeah, she's uh, one to watch, for sure. And one mm-hmm. to listen to. So that is Yula Putin-Seva. We find her very entertaining. Yes. And uh, hopefully she gets to be on some t- televised matches soon so the uh, 
the myth can grow. Because right now she's a little underground. Yeah, like you, you got it. It's like, you know, she's that band that you have to like actively seek out in order yeah. to know where they're playing their shows. And then like you show up and there's like two people yeah. in the bar. They're not, they're not on the radio. Maybe some like college station is sort of playing her hits or right. something. But. but she's great. From Chalk Flew Up. Question is, who will be Sarah Ryan in 2013? That is someone who will catapult up the rankings without anyone foreseeing it. So I think you're asking us to foresee something that no foresee one foresee. something that's unforeseeable. Tough. I feel like this game of like setting it up for failure here. It really is. But you had to make a pick. ATP and WTA. Who's your Sarah Arani in twenty thirteen? You know what? I might I might back me Simona Barthel. Okay. I might, I might have some faith that she Yeah, I, I think I'll just for the heck of it, because I think this is like an unknowable I mean, we're yeah, we're guessing the unknown. Right. Uh, I might I might back Mona Barthel. Or Ursula Novanska. Ursula is a good pick. Yeah, I mean, I like because I just I remember the first half, the first uh, third of the season, just being really, just really heavy on the Mona Barthel train. I really believed in her game. It was a fun game to watch. It was a surprising game to watch, and she just really fell fell to the wayside. Just you know, fatigue. It was her, it was her first like year on tour and stuff like that, and. It, it, the kind of tennis, professional tennis thing, is very new to her. She has a lot, a lot, a lot of more maybe sort of hype at some point than Sarah Ronnie ever had. Yeah. Sarah Ronnie was never hyped. Right. Bartle was hyped for a few months. Because Bar- Bartle's got weapons. Yeah. You know, so. It's a fun game to watch. That Azarenka match in Wells was oh, great. that was a great match. Great match. That's another one of those matches, like, you know, if that had gone a little bit different, that could have totally changed the year, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for her, at least for those two individuals, anyhow. Mm-hmm. Maybe Azarenka wins Miami at that point, you know. Yeah. Who knows? But at least Barthel would have finally gotten the best of her. Because I think Vika, like, kind of ended, like, at least, like, three or four of her tournaments. Like, they right. somehow got drawn against each other. Right. So, so yeah. So, I, I'll pick those two. Ursula still, I feel like, I feel like she's, like, a beta Kirilenko. Okay. In the way that I see her. Like, she could. She could get up there. But, I don't know. Maybe not as much. Not enough power. So, those are, but yeah. I'll, I'll go Barthel. Okay, I have a couple picks of people who are also near each other in the rankings, sort of where Irani was before, like the like mid-low 30s. And those are Carla, as far mm-hmm. as Navarro, because I think she's just a big upside. Mm-hmm. If she could ever start a string, and she's still pretty relatively young. She's 24. Uh, I guess not that young, but still, Irani wasn't that young either. So she could do some stuff. Pavlyuchenkova has kind of fallen off the map. And she's number 36 now. So she'll be a dangerous floater in Australia for sure. Mm-hmm. And she can beat anybody, I think, yeah. on a given day. So she's one to watch. And Christina McHale has sort of that solid Iranian ability to not lose a lot of matches she shouldn't lose mm-hmm. when she plays well. It's going to be an interesting year for her. Yeah. She's... Because she had a weird finish to this year with the mono and the early loss. And the now she's leaving the USDA. So yeah. we'll see. It'll be She'll be a definite player to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. In, 2013. So those are all sort of people on my radar of unpredictability. You're great. So, men's side, the one name that jumps out at me in the mid-30s is Thomas Bellucci. Because mm. I feel like he sort of has a similar track record to what Irani had at this point. Mm-hmm. He can play well at small tournaments, never really a threat. But he is game, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just the head isn't there. So if he gets a head transplant in the offseason, after he finishes his, finishes his star turn at the Challenger Tour Finals... Uh, yeah, Bellucci would be my pick for that. Or maybe Shardy, because Shardy had a good sense. Yeah, I was actually going to say Shardy. Yeah. I like, I like Shardy's game, and 
you know, he could he could do if he could do better in the clay on the clay tournaments, like the you know the non Rafa clay tournaments, mm-hmm. and pick up you know some t- some some points and titles there. I think he could he could shoot up. Yeah, maybe go win Hamburg or something. Yeah, exactly. He's done it before, so um, yeah, yeah I, I would probably pick Shardy. Good pick. Good pick. This question is from TJC05, another letters and numbers person, who asks, came across an SI article with a quote about Serena saying if she doesn't win Wimbledon, she'd never win another slam. Uh, So to play the what if game, if Serena had lost at Wimbledon, which nearly happened, does she still go on to dominate the rest of the year? I think no. Nope. Serena, except that all players are, Serena is a confidence player. And winning Wimbledon, even though she won it pretty ugly, if you really look at a lot of those mm-hmm. matches. The final was ugly. The fourth round match against Shvedova was really ugly. The third round against Zhang Che was really ugly. Even like the first round against, you know, Barbara. Yep. Pretty ugly. A couple nice quarters in semi against Kvitova and Azarenka. But she doesn't win that. I mean, maybe she still wins Stanford. But I don't think she wins. So much pressure on her at that point. Going to you the don't US think she point. withdraws from Stanford? I think she goes and... and crushes field out of rage Maybe. the same way she sort of did in charleston mm. after she lost to miami yeah no i mean i think that that was yeah her ability to rebound from you know the french open disappointment and then do what she did at wimbledon where she was it was a dodgy week and a half for her until she got to the quarters and like you know she was on the cusp uh, every day and you saw it on her face and the tension and the doubt there was just so much doubt yeah. surrounding her at the at that time and so you know but once she won it all went away yeah she was back on top of the world and and like you said she's a confidence player she's a streaky player and she had one hell of a streak dropped one match and after losing to Rosano and that match being a bit of a tank job to Kerber and Cincy mm-hmm. you know that's a pretty remarkable run definitely that's keep that's keyed off by the Wimbledon win yeah, no, I mean, she easily could have lost to Shvedova in the fourth round there. Mm-hmm. And Zhang Zhe, yeah. I mean, just that those was a tight both, match, yeah. Yeah, they were both, like, deep in the third matches. Mm-hmm. Shvedova, especially, I think, was, like, five all in the third, even, mm-hmm. or close to it. And then Shvedova played, like, one horrible service game to give a break. Yep. But Tarina was getting no looks on return whatsoever. Just, you know, she really was at her C or D game almost through Wimbledon, mm-hmm. just managed to survive. And, uh, yeah. So. True. I, I think we're consensus no doesn't go on to dominate the rest of the year. And a lot of question marks. She wouldn't have won a slam post post, you know, injury, post foot right. injury. Completely different story. Completely different yeah. story for her. Yeah. Post embolism was the word I was looking for, but mm. embolism was not rolling off the tongue. <laughs> Shocker. Last question we have here is about it's another Irani question. People like Irani, apparently. Mm-hmm. Or like talking about her anyway. With Arani crediting her improvement to a racket change, to what extent do you believe equipment matters to top players? It's hard to know. I think it's a safe answer. But what do you think? Do you have any immediate opinions on that? I think that it I think it does matter. I think that though it that it's not technical, it's psychological. Yeah. So be. I think that at that level with rackets, I mean, obviously these people, these these players are hitting the balls with just very little margin. So obviously the rackets, you know, if anything's just a little bit off, you know, you see this all the time, like just even with string tension and things like that, how much that can affect the game. But that being said, the racket is just, it's it's their Linus blanket. It's, yeah. it's their, com- you know, it's the thing that they're supposed to feel 100% comfortable with. And you've seen with racket changes, it not work. 
you know, I mean, like, obviously Djokovic, when he switched from, from Wilson to head, that was a huge, huge change for him. And he didn't seem to have faith in that change, you know, and, and I've seen that in, in other instances as well, where you just kind of get the sense of the player, you know, maybe made the change for money and not because they actually found a racket that was better. Right. That's not good. And that's not good. So, but like with uh, Arani, she did the exact opposite, which is that she forwent, you know, she bailed on her contract. Yeah. And she played and she just bought out of it. She bought out of it and to play with Babalot because she kn- she knew it was better. And so psychologically. Sam Quarry did the huge. same thing this year, by the way, actually. Yes, he did. He switched to Babalot also and From didn't France. have a contract with him. He got one eventually, yeah. um, but didn't have one. Davidenko yeah. refusing to like you know when he when Prince dropped him or whatever he just like went to the store and bought some Prince rackets and then like yeah. went and won Miami. Yeah. Um. That El Pocho, year. I've heard has been very resistant to changes frames. Mm-hmm. Didn't Rafa. Dalian change his racket this year? Like early in the year. Ooh, didn't he? I think he might. Yeah, have. he might have. Nothing good. Yeah. Yeah. So. But like, look at you look at Rafa and you look at Roger. Like for as far as I know, like all the anecdotal evidence and Del Potro's the other one their rackets have not changed from like the day they were like a junior to now. Yeah. They may get paint jobs and they may get different names, uh, but it is the same racket. Yeah. And Lindsay it, Davenport, I know is notorious for having the same racket since like 1994 to like 07 mm-hmm. and just kept getting it painted. Whatever the new model of, right. I think she was, I'm not good at this. I think she was a Wilson player, whatever the new model of that looked like, she would just switch. Yeah. So yeah, I think it can matter, but once again, mostly psychological. Yeah. So we are going to bring back an oldie but goodie feature of ours, Take a Number. It seems like a good way to occupy ourselves in the offseason. So if you haven't been here with us before when we do this, we're going to take a number randomly picked between 1 and 100. Mm-hmm. Look at the player on the ATP and WTA Tour who has ranked that. And then talk about that person and just, you know, their impact on the game and our lives, etc. So here we go. Number 1 to 100. Do 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 is, oh Jesus, it's ninety nine. Oh. <laughs> this thing, I, I swear. Oh, okay, I've really never heard of this person. Um, who's who's did anybody good on the WTA? Because I'm totally ready for Mulligan on this. Ninety nine, you said. Yeah. Oh, brutal! <laughs> I have no idea who this is. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, I actually kind of know who that is. You did. Mar- yeah. Okay. So Marla is- Teresa Total Floor. Yeah, so her name is, her, she goes by the name Tita Toro. They call her <laughs> Tita. Okay. And so, by the way, our numbers are, our number was 99. Quick summary. Uh, WTA was Maria Teresa Toro Flor. And ATP is Portuguese sensation Joao Souza. Okay. So we are not doing this number because <laughs> nothing much to say. But. But give me your dossier on Toro Flor. Because I, I know literally... that I know that Toro Flor had a really long winning streak in the middle of summer at like 25 Ks or even like hundred Ks and won like 20 straight matches at one point in July. Wow. I got messages from people like you should write about her. And I was like, okay, I know nothing about her, but I'll try. So I was going to go see her at US seven qualities and maybe do a story about her there. Cause I think the streak was still going at that point. Mm-hmm. And she lost second round of US seven qualities. So killed that idea. But if she had made the main trial, it's all ready to be. Here's this person you've never heard of who hasn't lost since, you know, May. Right. But she's actually lost a lot since then. But now she's in the top 100, so she gets to play with the big girls, even though I think she is kind of tall herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's my that's my st- my bit on Maria Teresa Toro Flor. Nice. 
uh, I have nothing on Joao Sousa. Like, that's a name, that's a name that, like, if I saw it, I would not know that that was a tennis player. Yeah. Which is fair. Like, you know, like, there are players, like, you don't, you may, like, have not seen, but you've read their name. Or you know their seen, name in you know, draws. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that one I've literally never seen. Um, she was a very fast riser, I think, this year. I mean, she really went from nothing to... Oh, good honor. 20 years old. Yeah. Zhao Souza. Um, I know that he wears a Terry cloth headband, and he kind of okay. looks like Jason Terry. There you go. I'd always, like, he de- he probably doesn't look like Jason Terry at all, but Jason Terry also wears, like, a like a, a Terry cloth headband mm. on his on his head, so I was like, okay. Um, Coro Floor, by the way, started this year unranked. That's incredible. To get to 99? Yeah. Unranked, and then she was number 438 when she broke into the rankings in January. So, good honor. And then, yeah, here's I'm looking at her set. She won, starting in June, she won a, a 25K in Zlin, Czech Republic, a 20, 50K in Kraiova, Romania, a 25K in Rome, a 100K in Bucharest, and a... 100k in Olomouc, Czech Republic, back to back to back, mm-hmm. and then she lost first round U.S. Open qualies. Girl, she could have so, she could have had a spot in the New York Times. Pretty much, uh, so all about timing, I guess. It is. It That's is. a long streak. That's a long streak that I remembered it being actually. It's impressive. She's one to watch in 2013, I guess. What's her nickname? Tita. 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 Okay. Tita Toro. Tita Toro. That's rad. Like, I think she's like at Tita Toro or something. That's a rad. That's a rad nickname. Yeah, not bad. Tita Toro. Toro, Toro is a good name. It is. Yeah, Joao. I don't know much about. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly at all. Xiao, Zhou. It's Xiao. <laughs> yeah, he's no, Chinese. No, no, but it's like it's 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 Portuguese. So it doesn't it have like a bit of kind of the nasal. Zhou. I know there's some weird accent over that A that I don't know what to do with. Oh, dude, it. I was so wrong. This is not who I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't think that I've ever seen Zhao Souza play. I mean, I actually... I was, I, I was I, impressed I, I, you knew who he looked like. Are you thinking of, like, Gil? Hill? No, I'm thinking of the French guy um, um, who's African. Uh, Jocelyn Iwana? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I thought they were the same person, but they're not. Eh, you know. Close I enough. apologize for that. That was embarrassing. That's okay. If anybody else has better Joao Souza stories or anecdotes or info they want to give us... Let us know. Let us know. Our learning is your learning. Indeed. Our sharing is your sharing. We will retweet the best answers to that. Yeah. But in the meantime, although we had a little bit to say about Tita Toro, I think we should spin the wheel again. Okay. And get a new number. Maybe a lower one. This time the number... (laughs) It does it every time. Every time we get a bad number, the next number we get is ridiculously good, which I kind of don't believe. Mm. The number is six. Ooh. Um, Sarah Arani. Sarah Arani and Thomas Burdich. Yeah. To, this has been like the Sarah Arani show. It really has. She really just hijacked everything this year, didn't she? Yeah. So let's talk about it this way. What What is fair to expect from Sarah Arani in 2013? Top 15 player. Mm-hmm. But not top 10. You know, I, I think that because in order to hit, get the top 10, she'd have to replicate her results in the slams. And Which you're talking top. about a final at Roland Garros and a semifinal at the U.S. Open. And I just I and I did she not make the quarters or round of sixteen quarters, quarters of Australia yeah quarters yeah. of Aussie I mean that's incredible but she'd have to replicate it I don't know I, I don't I think she'll continue to do well in the small events yeah she'll do that she'll do her like weird clay run you mm-hmm. know although roadmap actually might stop her from entering a lot of stuff oh so that might be bad for her that might be true uh, so maybe even outside top twenty yeah. at that point if she can't go play Budapest and 
Palermo and Barcelona, Estero. whatever else she was this year. Yeah. Yeah, Estero. Acapulco. Acapulco. Yeah. Etc. Bogota. So I mean, yeah. she proved that she had just tremendous, like, physical resilience this year. She's an unbelievably tough out. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless you're really good. Then she's unless tough. you're Yaroslav Shvedova. Right. Golden set her. Yeah, pretty much. I want to see a rematch of that, actually. That'd be funny. That'd be cool. So I think doubles should probably stay good also, but maybe not as much. Depends on how much the Williams is play. And uh, I guess Silent H is in Kirilenko. Kirilenko and broke up, didn't they? Yeah, because Kirilenko's going to play with... Um... Lisa. Lisa. Yeah, it's an interesting pair. I don't know why Kirilenko and broke up. I don't really understand that. Yeah, I mean... Well, they were just together for the Olympics, right? But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe they both, maybe they're, well, no, because if Maria's going to play with Lisa, then she is still going to po- play fo- focus on doubles, so. Interesting. Anyway, we're talking about Sarah Ronnie. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I think that's what she is. I mean, no one expected what there is this year. Um, yeah. Have we talked at all in the show about her? And the doctor in Valencia stuff. I feel like we should mention that at some point. We have not. Um, yeah, we can talk about it. So that's um, been one of the sort of the cloud hanging over Sarah Ronnie this year, I guess. Right. Is uh, her acknowledging that she had been treated or had seen or met or whatever. She never met him, she says. Ne- never met him, she says? Yes. Okay. She went to... Oh, no, wait. Actually, sorry. I'm confusing her story with Dinara's story. Okay. Yeah, no, she had met him. Okay. She's saying that she got, like, routine, like, cardiac exams from this guy, doctor, uh, I think his name is Garcia de Moral, mm-hmm. Del Moral, who was, was one, of, one of the doctors implicated in all the Lance Armstrong investigation and stuff that dropped this year. So in the Academy of Valencia, uh, where Ronnie is based, like a lot of Italians, uh, he was somebody who served them. And so what do we what do we make of, of this? Uh, you know, it's um, it's hard to know. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like because there's just so, you know, the biggest thing I don't remember if we've talked about doping on the on the show yet or not, but one not of the big, really. Yeah, so I mean one of the biggest things that you kind of have come to learn and and accept as a lot of the Armstrong stuff has has um been revealed and about doping is just that like how little out of competition testing gets done in tennis mm-hmm. and how little of that is being done to like lower ranked players, right? Like I mean like you, you'll see tweets about Caroline Wozniacki getting roused out of bed, or Rafa, or Andy Murray, or like all that, but or Serena, but and Maria, but you won't hear about it happening to anybody else. And the out of competition testing is really for me where there is a huge gap and a huge hole in terms of that's that is more so than anything is what prevents me from being able to say like, oh, tennis is a clean sport. Mm-hmm. You know, is you know in the, in the upper echelons. You know, I don't think that it's clean in the lower echelons, but I think in the upper echelons, I would be I would general generally be inclined to say it's clean. But that's the one block for me to really stop prevents me from saying that. So, you know, to the extent that she's doing something in the off season or or not she, sorry, I don't want to do that. To the extent a player is yeah. doing something in the off season to kind of be able to, because theoretically to me what you could do is that so much of tennis is like what you do in the off season is getting yourself fit to where you can handle the rigors of a full schedule. Because when you're actually playing, like you aren't hitting the gym, you aren't, you don't have the time 
and the luxury to work out because you have to just play your matches and protect yourself. So to the extent that you can use the off season as a tennis player to get yourself like fit. If you were going to, if you were going to dope, this would be the time of year to do it. Right. This would be the time of year to do it. And this would be the time of year to be testing. But you know, it's like, it's like the, it's like the, you know, Mark McGuire stuff or baseball steroids was what we know most about in the U S I guess. Right. The guys who were using were not using because they, you know, took a pill and immediately they swelled up. Right. They took a pill because they could then, after they took that, or, you know, injected creams, whatever, went to the gym and then could, you know, lift a lot of stuff and last much longer than they naturally would have been able to. Right. They could the load. The same thing could happen in tennis. Right. Uh, you could, you know, do that, train really hard, and, and get in really good shape and arrive to the season in really good shape. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just don't know with tennis. I don't, I think the, the threat of getting caught and the consequences of that are enormous. And that is yeah. a huge deterrent people. Yeah, and I think Players like, who I've talked to about this, a lot of them, when they talk about it, they're, you know, terrified of accidentally ingesting something. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Like, players are so vigilant in what they put in their bodies um, for fear of getting, like, a false test or something like that. Yeah. And the other thing, too, and I think it's a point that John Wertheim makes on SI, which I had never really thought of before, but it, it kind of resonates with me, is that when you think about the sport culturally, and you compare it, obviously, to cycling, like in cycling, like what allowed them to get away with it was just like the omerta, right? Like it's just like everybody's doing it, so we're not going to talk about it. The team sport, it's, like it's a team sport. Way it's set up. Whereas like in like tennis, like it's not. You know, coaches change, physios go from team to team, players are around each other and on top of each other all the time. Like in the locker room, like you know, it's pretty hard to get away with stuff. To me, it would take it would take a big sort of. organization ring yeah and and that's the thing that i feel like tennis is lacking like i don't think that it has that but that being said like you cannot call yourself a team a clean sport if you have an insufficient testing mechanism and if to the extent that you know obviously they say that it's a it's a funding issue and all that and you know the the itf is underfunded and things okay i guess but there's also let's face it a disincentive to actually find out if people are doping yeah, what's the like, point in you know for the ITF, for example, to right. spend money on 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 a project that would undermine its own product? Undermine its own product, yeah. No, it has it almost has to be something outside that does it. Right. And uh, yes, it's a very clandestine way they run it. I mean, it's hard, very hard to find out anything, you know, about we don't know when people's I don't know a samples have come back positive for stuff. We only really hear about things that are very down the line when they right. get found. When Odesnik got caught in Australia with the HGH, we didn't hear about it till March or April. And again, and that was a customs issue. Yeah, and that was it wasn't not like he got tested to... positive. It wasn't anything no. within tennis. The, the the guy just had it in his bag. Yeah. And Australian customs officials caught it. Like you know, so you know, I just I, it's really hard, and and, and it's also obviously very difficult to kind of, in my opinion, to talk about it without casting false aspersions or implications yeah. as to the who that you're talking about and as you know and things like we that don't, we don't because we just we don't know you this don't know thing. you don't know and it's pure speculation and with, with with respect to sport you know nowadays i think that i know for myself like the way that i kind of treat sport especially in light of all the the recent doping stuff and not even recent like going all the way back to like you know 94 95 with mcguire and sosa and all those guys is that when something incredible in sport happens it just really sucks that you can't just enjoy it as being this incredible feat of human accomplishment. And you have to sit there and be like, you know, like the, chi- the, the, the little Chinese, Chinese swimmer. swimmer. Girl, exactly what I was saying. You know, 
Like people say that, I mean, I've heard people say the same thing about like Usain Bolt. And it's like, I never would think about it, honestly, until somebody said it. And I was like, well, but I I don't know. Like, I kind of want to live in a world where that's possible. Like, yeah. you know, and so it just sucks that it, you, you have to be for this, for the interest of self-preservation, you have to be a bit cynical with respect to, to sport, but somehow strike that balance to where you can still enjoy it and you can still marvel at incredible athletic feats. And I think, and we don't know, you know, what, we don't have a great sample to know what a steroid taker in tennis, you know, looks like, quote unquote. Right. I mean, demographically, it's been very mixed in terms of people who have gotten caught for stuff. You have Odesnik, obviously, who's an American guy. You have a few people from Argentina, I guess, got caught last decade, early part, like Mariana Puerta, mm-hmm. is probably most famously of them, who's gotten completely forgotten, by the way, mm-hmm. after that. Because he was the guy who, relatively recently, I mean, Nadal played him in a Grand Slam final. Yeah, we just don't know. It's not clear. It's not like baseball where, you know, somebody with, you know, no neck and a swollen head is going up there smacking home runs. Right. And that's, I think, part of it also compared to cycling, which I don't really have any, get any enjoyment out of as a spectator, personally. Tennis, if we find out, you know, 10 years down the line that this was, you know, a completely juiced up era and everybody was on all sorts of stuff. I mean, did it make it any less fun to watch it at the time? See, maybe on yeah. some, maybe on some sort of you know cerebral level, I guess. But you're watching an actual game being mm-hmm. played, and the brain's going at it as much as the bodies in tennis. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you have that with cycling, and probably not with baseball when it comes to taking an at bat either. I think even if it does show, and I'm hoping obviously it doesn't, and I would be disheartened to say the least if it turned out everybody was on steroids. But if it was, you know, it was still feels more legitimate as a the best better player one than cycling i guess if that makes any sense right right no yeah absolutely absolutely so so but it's, it's unfortunate for you know i i, I did you know I, I remember when that story kind of broke about her uh arani's connections to the doctor that right it was just, the french open yeah and and i just i felt i felt bad for her you know, and, and not because, like, I believe that she's clean or not clean. I don't have an opinion on it really either way because nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows anybody, right? She knows. She yeah, knows. Right. Exactly. And But it just sucks that, like, here's this person who just had, like, this tremendous, you know, result. And it's not like her result was weird. Her The draw broke open for her. And, you know, she beat people who are beatable on any given day that she could beat on any given day. Kuznetsova, Ivanovich, Stozer. That's all, I mean, Kerber, yeah. Kerber, that's doable on clay yeah. for her, mm-hmm. especially given what she had done. So it wasn't like the result just like came out of nowhere and you're like, what? You know, but, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I talked to her about it. Clearly it was something that took a lot of the shine off of the enjoyment of her year for sure. Yeah. Um, because she had never really been under the eye, under, you know, getting much attention at all. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, she was Sarah Ronnie. Yeah. And now that this was, now that her big moment came at the same time as this, was not ideal for her, obviously. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I doubt anything more is going to come of that situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe unless there's some big document release with the whatever her academy is in Valencia or something right. that implicates people. But I, I don't know. I don't know what else we can really do about it except for, you know, keep in the back of your mind that never to get, you know, completely sold on anything. Right. It's the sad reality of sports today. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, you shouldn't be surprised if anybody, anybody gets caught. Right. doesn't matter, you know, what you think the cheater looks like. If you think it's somebody with big muscles or some, you know, tiny little guy can run forever. Yep. Could be either. 
Could be and neither. one anecdotal thing that I had just never thought about, but somebody brought up to me uh, a while ago, was just among the juniors, mm-hmm. like growth pills, mm. which had just never occurred to me. Those but, are a thing. I didn't realize. Yeah, like 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 pills to help a kid get tall. Huh. Which totally makes sense. <laughs> You know, and and then totally everyone take those if those were around. Right. But like, I'm they're they're totally illegal and like whatever. But like there is kind of my understanding from a bunch of different people that I've talked to about it, that that it's not I mean, I'm not going to say it's rampant, but it's present. Fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So there you go. Those are those are some nuggets to think of. Uh, Speaking of somebody who's already very tall, we can switch to the guy on this number. Sure. Thomas Burditch. Mm -hmm. I assume it's tall naturally. Yep. He's very tall. What do we what do we make of, of Thomas Bridge? He, he's when you talk about the field having to break through. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's a prime candidate for that, mm-hmm. and he's had his moments of doing it, probably more than anybody. Yeah, um, even including Del Potro. I mean, Del Potro did it at one tournament, really, right. and made it all the way. But in terms of being a threat to do it, slam in, slam out. I think Bridge is about as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, uh... Can, can he win a slam? Let's say by the end of twenty fourteen. Do you think he will? 2014 can give him eight more chances i'm saying i'd say he can yeah he can he i thought that he i really genuinely thought he had a good shot of of the u.s open at least i mean i don't know if he would have beaten novak in the final the way novak was playing right but i I think that if it was not a blustery day i honestly i do think that burdick beats murray yeah in the semis so i think that that he's just been you know much better on the consistency this year playing the big events fairly well although he did have the first round loss to Golbis at Wimbledon but he had a really bad first round to Darcy at the uh, yeah he had he had a rough like middle of the year like he went on this weird string of just like shocking losses but but to be fair Golbis played really well against Burdick uh, in that match but but yeah I mean he you know right now if I had to pick like a player to watch in 2013 he's my guy like then my number one guy on the ATP tour of somebody who could, who could break through. Yeah. I think so, too. I think you go, I'd say, Burdich and Ronich mm-hmm. are the two guys, really, who can win a slam by the end of 2014. And Delpo. Mm, but Delpo's I, I already... Below those two, but that's okay. just me. I really me. liked... I, I, I loved what I saw from Delpo the last few, you know, last month of the season, but yeah, um, but yeah that's fair. But but I feel like Burdich has, has really earned his spot. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, he's, 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 to me, he's, he's a top five player. He's my number five. All due respect to Ferrer. Do you think it's fair to say that he is the biggest trash talker in the ATP near the top? I mean, it's, I think it's either him or Federer. I was going to say it's either him or Fed. Yeah. But yeah. Fed does it in a, in a more sort of passive aggressive way. Yeah. Burnish does it very yeah. bluntly. Yeah. Uh, you know, talking crap. About yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Top 10. Playing. Yeah. Top 10 for sure. And that, I think, I think we enjoy that oh yeah i do i mean i like i like that he brings that kind of edge to the game you know it's not unlike and not that not that Soddling talked trash he didn't but just in the way that he played the game it was a it was a very aggressive like kind of swagger. in your face swagger style of play and i liked that mindset and even you know today i was rewatching the the, the highlights from uh rosal and uh, nadal you know, and just kind of seeing that same kind of sort of snarl from from Rosal about those, those are incredible highlights. Oh, it's it's shocking. Like I still, I was watching the highlights today, and I was still shaking my head on that one. 
but yeah, it was, um, but I feel like he just kind of has that. He genuinely believes and he knows and he's proven that he can beat the top four. By the way, did you just bring up Burditch and then bring up Lucas Russell? Oh, uh, you want to, do you want to, are you having, still having PTSD from that press? No, I, I, it, it's totally a positive in my mind. <laughs> I think everybody knows, I'm not going to go, I think we've already talked about it on the show before, but Thomas Burditch does not appreciate being compared to his Davis Cup teammate. Even in like, a, a question totally that had way. nothing to wasn't do even a com- it wasn't comparison. a comparison it wasn't a comparison it was mentioning in the same breath right so it was yeah. lauding one result and lauding his result and him being like screw you benjamin rothenberg pretty much yeah we've always gotten along well outside of that though so yeah no Bert is fine i actually think that he gets like a worse rap publicly yeah. agreed people need that- to people need to make people cartoonish and one-dimensional for right. him to be interesting and I guess people don't know or honestly care enough about Thomas Burdett to give him too much nuance. Yeah. He's, he's a mostly pretty nice guy for sure. Yeah, he is. I, I would never I would never describe him as being like a jerk. No, definitely not. Like, you know, he has like stupid moments, but like he's 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 a good dude. It's he, just sometimes the way that he talks, his like Czech accent and kind of the very monotone robotic very monotone. way uh, in yeah. which he speaks, things come off very cold off of his tongue, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, but if you actually like then read the transcript, it's like perfectly normal. You know? yeah. um, He's yeah. also one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent Instagrammer on the ATP tour. Mm, he's solid. He, he's a really good Facebooker. Yeah, he is. He does not on Twitter. So we're more Twitter people mm-hmm. uh, by trade. But Burditch on Instagram is funny because he uh, he really likes what you learn about him on Instagram. So he really likes wristwatches. Mm-hmm. So he takes photos of wristwatches and then puts a bunch of hashtags, like hashtag, <laughs> hashtag, watch, Rolex, Burditch, Thomas Burditch, <laughs> all these different things. It's like people are searching for, I don't know what he thinks, but it's it's amusing. And it is amusing. It's, it's, it's refreshingly unpolished, which is what I want from my players' social exactly. media. Totally. So, so that's Thomas Burditch. So that wraps up our take a number, take two, for second week in a row. We're going to do these little rant corner things where we pick something and talk about it. Tennis or not tennis. Courtney, do you have something? I do. I do. You want me to go first? We used to. Okay. So the thing that I needed to rant about today was just I don't understand why the ATP website and the WTA website can't like harmonize the way they do things. And I get it. They're separate organizations and they do things their own way. But even just the simplest of things, like if you go into a player's results and you look at their player activity, like they're in reverse order, they're in reverse order. Like the ATP lists from most recent to oldest. Mm -hmm. So in like reverse chronological order and then WTA goes chronological order. And it's just like, you kind of have to like shift a little bit in your head, like, you know, which, you know, and I end up just scrolling up and down down until I get my bearings and then I can find things. And the ATP um, one is a little worse I think on that front because it goes reverse chronological by week but then chronological within a tournament. You know, it still has right. like finals at the bottom. Right. So you don't get it's hard to figure out like, you know, win streaks or something. Exactly. So but, that's super annoying. Like I, you know, like I really like that the ATP like when you pull up a player's page, the ranking is right there. That's big. That is huge. Like the WTA, the ranking, their current ranking is not there. So you, if, in other words, like if I want to find out, I want to look up Sam Stozer's most recent results, and I also want to find out what her current ranking is, two, in, two pieces of information that generally go together when yeah. you're writing, I have to then go back to the WTA rankings page and look up the current rankings. I wonder so, why that is, because I think maybe it has to do to some level 
with the WTA rankings sometimes being more problematic for them. It's clearly a conscious decision by WTA, I think. If they wanted this, they could do it. But, yes, but do, the they, no- do they want to have, like, if somebody goes to look up, I don't know. Serena's ranking. Serena like or something. Three. and it, But not even number three right now. If it was number 11 in March or something. Do they want that? Does that just sort of furrow more eyebrows than it's worth for them? Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, that that would be the cynical view of it. I mean, yeah. I, I think that that there there's there could be something there on that. You know, like why does the you know the ATP lists a player's historical rankings? That's week big. by week, which is ginormous. That's so big. So big because if I just want to know, like, what was this person ranked like one year ago? Or figure out something like, oh, this person, look, they were as low as this at this point. Figure out what the you know nadir of their ranking was right and, and the trajectory and, right yeah. the trajectory of their ranking you know and stuff like that and they know. also atp also has that rankings breakdown page which is huge mm-hmm. to let you know what this person's ranking is built on which was important for things like for example this year finding out what parts of donald young's ranking are going to fall apart when just how fast he's going to plummet mm-hmm. i mean that was big yeah i mean they just have a lot of they each have their own pluses and minuses they uh, do they like do ATP is generally better for sure for website for writing purposes Although yes. it crashes all the time. Now. Exactly. I can't get on it. So it's like annoying yeah. in that way. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, like the WTA's notes, I think, are better than yeah, the definitely. ATP's notes, like the match notes and preview notes and things yeah. like that have are just so chock full of just really interesting, like trivia information. And, um, you know, Both and mobile sites, not very good. The what? The mobile sites on, you know. Oh, I don't, I don't phone. use either. Oh. I've, I've just been on some click on Twitter links when I was on my phone for both websites and they just take you to like host pages. They're not great. Both can improve. But yeah. for the most part, they do have a lot of stuff. And having all the match activity is good. Oh, yeah, for WK, sure. W, uh, ATP has more advanced stats accessible on their site, too, for a given match. If you go back and click, yes. that's nice. Um, that's yeah, I wish I wish sort of they could become unified on that. And maybe like, someday the tours basic. will merge and this will happen. But Just basic things like even like, again, like the ATP site, like you can like, look at a, a player's all of their grand slam performances That's, yeah just but you can't do or all of their masters or all of you know like that and you can't do that on the wta site so it's just for wta like as i mean both you and i you know write a lot about the wta it's sure. just it's so cumbersome to like put together so many of those numbers yeah and so it would be nice but um but hey at the end of the day though the wta site never crashes does, and right. i've i've been on deadline where i'm trying to verify stuff with the atp site and it's just not letting me get onto a player page and it's driving me insane Indeed. so that's a good rant yes that was my rant mine is completely not tennis related it's about something that's happening but i'm so excited about this rant it's about something yes. that's happening on december 1st which is this saturday hopefully we get this episode before up before that this will incentivize me to do this um december 1st is the first of a lot of things i think it's probably at the start of advent or something and you know the last month of the year but most importantly in my mind it is the day when children from 12 countries around the continent of Europe will convene in Amsterdam to compete in the Junior Eurovision Song Contest 2012. Now, if you follow me, or more likely have unfollowed me on Twitter, <laughs> you'll you'll know that I'm a big fan of Eurovision. I think it's spectacular. Eurovision, for those who don't know, is a song contest where pretty much every European country, save for about three or four uh, or five, submit a song, an original song, to compete. Have All the other countries vote on it. And there are these three-minute pop songs that are way over the top and shiny and sparkly and usually terrible. But just the earnestness with which they do it is amazing to me. The politics that gets involved in the voting is also pretty fascinating. And it's just really weird and 
and fun and a guilty pleasure for a lot of people. Although I really don't feel any guilt about it. <laughs> for some, about 2004 or so, the European Broadcasting Union decided they should subject children to this, which I just don't like. <laughs> we're watching, Courtney and I were watching the video of these performances that are going to be happening on Saturday, and they are pretty shockingly just ridiculous. These kids, some of them look young. Like the girl who's representing Ukraine looks literally like four years old. All this microphone screaming into it. They range from about four. So much like, angst. So much angst for a four-year-old Ukrainian. Life is hard, and <laughs> it's hard out here for a Kiever. They have uh, this like Belgian Justin Bieber kid. I mean, it sort of ranges, you know, from what to expect. You said he looked like Goffin. I, so I was like, oh, I didn't know David Goffin was representing Belgium in Junior Eurovision. He does look thirteen or so. Yeah, yeah but it's just like, exploitation of children, or you know, using them for these sort of purposes is just strange. The whole show is like weirdly scripted. Your Eurovision times I've actually tried to watch it, like the audience is all clearly like hired extras who like all wave their little like flags or batons or balloons or whatever in unison. Like the audience actually has like a pre choreographed dance to every single performance, which makes it's just it's just weird. It's very inorganic, whatever this show is. And uh it's creepy. And I encourage you to watch if you live in Europe. <laughs> It'll be streaming on uh, Eurovision.tv, I imagine. So I'll tweet out a link when it's happening, probably around 3 p.m. Eastern time this Saturday. And yeah, it's just, it's something to behold. And the voting is just as um, political with the kids. Um, they all sing in their native languages, though, which is different than the adults. And yeah, I just I just think it's 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 something. And uh, regular Eurovision will come back in May, but in the meantime, if you want your fix, Junior Eurovision is there. And it is weird, so... That's my that's my rant for it's it's something's happening this week. We'll There's not po- much going on in the in the off season. We'll post the video that Ben sent me in advance of his rant. Yeah. That was just it's incredible. It's like a it's just so good. Because all Eurovision is like that to a degree. Yes. It's all way over the top and just like what But it's like that? an infantilized Eurovision. Yeah. And so you add kind of the kid factor and it gets creepy and weird and yeah. just like what? But it's crazy. Yeah, so there you go. That's We can end it with that. We use a Eurovision song, our junior Eurovision song to play it out. I'm trying to remember, some of the better ones in, in the last few years included one from Georgia that won, which was sung by this group called, called ZKB. They were buzzing bees, and they literally ran around the stage buzzing for three minutes. And they won. And they were dressed in little bee outfits, you know, going, bzzza, bzzza. Actually, that. So, we'll put that at the end of this episode for to haunt you in your in your sleep. Good so, with that in mind, have a good one, folks. Uh, we'll see you sometime soon in the off season. If you have ideas for us, we are all ears because there's no tennis right now, exactly. which, as we've said, we're okay with. But yeah, but definitely. It'll come back soon. And um, we are on Facebook, and that's the best way to kind of like track new episodes for mm-hmm. now, as we still get our technical issues resolved during the off season. Yes. Um, but uh, so please do like our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash NCR tennis, I think. Regular slash, I think. Regular slash. What's the difference? I don't know which one is which. The forward slash. Yeah, you're right. It's forward slash. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, it's a good spot. We kind of do our little G chat things there as well to keep ourselves amused. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah. But any uh, suggestions or comments? We're all ears. That's what the off season is for. Because we're going to ignore Facebook. them when the tennis starts. <laughs> and also on Facebook, we are going to start giving away some stuff soon. Yes. Not exactly sure how that's going to work, but stay tuned because basically we have, we have a bu- we have a year's worth 
of like tennis swag mm-hmm. that just you get gifted at yeah. tournaments when you as part of media gifts and stuff. So um, some of it's pretty good. So yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna pass that on to you because we are nothing if not sharers of the love. Exactly. So we'll talk to you guys or we'll talk at you guys soon. Bye bye. Eights. Thank <laughs> you.